The European games come to life in Baku, Azerbaijan. Bowling spares nothing in its hunt for Tokyo 2020. And the 2022 Winter Olympic bid race heats up. You're listening to the latest Sunday edition of ATR Radio. I'm Nicole Bennett. The 2015 European Games opened in Baku on June 12th. Over the course of 16 days, Baku 2015 organizers say some 7,000 athletes from 50 NOCs will compete in 20 sports. I spoke with Pierce O'Callaghan, Baku 2015 Director of Sport, as the team entered the final countdown to the inaugural Games. In addressing Baku 2015's biggest challenge over the past 30 months, O'Callaghan said time was usually not on their side. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest challenge has been time. As I say, 30 months is a very small length of time, particularly with an event which has never taken place before, um, and the number of athletes involved and 20 sports. Um, you know, quite frankly, there's double the amount of athletes for the European Games as there was in Sochi earlier on uh, last year for the Olympic Winter Games. So it really is, uh, you know, a grand scale event. So you've touched on this a lot already, but the public seems excited for the games.、Um, you've got a, a lot of festivities and events planned for the days leading up to the opening ceremony. So I guess just to reiterate, you've seen a great response from the people in Baku to the games. Yeah, you kind of look at it even in the larger picture of of, of the nation itself. I mean, the, the Republic of Azerbaijan is a very young, independent nation. It's only had 23 years of independence. So while they would have been passed, it would have been part of the Soviet Union when the Olympics were held in Moscow in 1980. They haven't hosted major、uh, events, and you know their experience of sport would be watching on TV. So the fact that you know, the whole of Europe, you know, over 6,000 athletes will come、uh, from 50 national Olympic committees, is a source of great pride for them. They want to、uh, show what they're capable of doing, but they also want to experience the sport, and, and that's one of the key things that you know many of us as international staff have experienced. It is a real sports-loving country. Sport plays a, a very prominent role in the, in the agenda of the government of the day. The president of the republic is also the president, the president of the National Olympic Committee,、uh, so he takes a very active role.、Uh, and it is one of the youngest、uh, populations in Europe as well. So it's got a very young country who wants to experience big events, who wants to be part of history and excitement, and you know it feeds into the national agenda of getting people more active、uh, and healthy and, and fit. So from that point of view, you know the, the public response so far has been has been fantastic, and one of the key、uh, priorities of the European Olympic Committees has been to fill the stadiums and create a really great atmosphere. So we've been very、uh, conscious of that、uh, through all our marketing promotion of the European Games, and so far ticket sales have have been fantastic. It's it's a country known for lastminute.com ticket purchases, but we've already seen a change in behaviour that people are are starting to hear. Uh, stories of you know events being sold out or close to sold out, so you know the ticket sales from our point of view has already been a big success. In other news, bowling is officially aiming for inclusion in the 2020 Summer Olympics, having submitted its application to Tokyo on June 8th. Earlier this year, Tokyo 2020 opened the doors to sports hoping to join the Olympic program on a single games basis. The organizing committee was given the leeway to add sports of its own accord under the Olympic Agenda 2020 reforms passed last year. The additional event program panel is expected to send a final list of sports to the IOC for approval no later than September. September 30th. Baseball, softball is widely considered to have the inside track on securing a spot in Tokyo due to its popularity in Japan. Wushu, squash, wakeboarding, surfing, and others have shown interest as well. I spoke with World Bowling President Kevin Dornberger on Monday. What is the market like in Japan for bowling? Well, 
this is a fortuitous situation for us. Uh, Japan is our second largest member federation uh, behind the United States in terms of participation. Uh, they estimate that there are 12 million Japanese that bowl regularly. It's a very, very popular sport. I imagine it started shortly after the end of World War II, World War II I'm sorry, when the U.S. spent some time there. Uh, Japanese love bowling, and they're darn good at it. So it was, it's, it's really been an easy education process in the, the putting together the materials and talking to any key decision makers because they already understood our sport. And you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, this is an exciting time for non-Olympic sports. And we know that, as I said before, this is all happening under the umbrella of Olympic Agenda 2020. So I guess to end, what, what are your final thoughts on all of this? And, and what did you mean by this is, you know, an exciting time for non-Olympic sports? Well, first of all, I have to say that the, the, the IOC and the TOC have been extremely open and transparent in this process. And, I, you know, those of us sports who've, who've had Olympic dreams for a few years now really appreciate that because there was a time when it wasn't the case. You'd have conversations, you'd have no idea where you were at, whether you were making progress or not. Now the process is, uh, is out there for people to see. It's the same for everybody. Uh, I think they're approaching this, both sides are approaching this in a much more business-like manner. Yeah, it's exciting. Either we'll be encouraged or greatly disappointed on June 22nd. And uh, I guess that's the, the downside is that, I, that, that bowling, like a lot of sports, has been disappointed in the past and maybe in the future. It's just that's the way the game is played. And there'll be some winners, if you want to call them that, there'll be some losers. And uh, our position is that we, we believe that working on appealing to spectators, media, and sponsors much more than we have in the past. And I guess we're, we think it's our time. This is, uh, it's the right country. It's the right time. Tokyo 2020, Dornberger says, will release a short list of sports under consideration by the additional event program panel on June 22nd. Delegations from Almaty, Kazakhstan, and Beijing, China delivered key presentations to the IOC this week. The so-called technical briefing for IOC members on the 2022 candidate cities gave them a chance to explain how they plan to stage the games, as well as for IOC members to ask questions to the candidates. With only two cities bidding to host the 2022 Olympics, I asked ATR editor Ed Hula this week why this briefing was as important as others in previous Olympic bidding contests. Sort of yes and no, I guess, is the uh, easy way I can answer that. Because there are two cities, one would think it'd be a great way to compare the two, to figure out which is stronger than the other. On the other hand, we're dealing with Beijing, which is considered to have such a, a far lead over Almaty in the bidding that it would have taken a very, very strong presentation from Almaty and a Beijing presentation that was full of holes for it to really make much of a difference in this race. Sometimes when there's three or four cities, when we've had those kinds of races in the past, um, it does help draw a distinction between the weak ones and the stronger ones. But here I think it uh, perhaps, perhaps solidified Beijing's status as the likely frontrunner in this contest right now. So far, what are IOC members saying about each bid? Really nothing critical, despite each of these bids being flagged for a number of deficiencies in the Evaluation Commission report that was released just about a week ago. Um, 
IOC members say they were impressed with what they heard from from Kazakhstan, uh, that they believe that uh, uh, I think they're a little bit surprised at how well organized they are. Uh, a very compact bid, they believe, in Kazakhstan, in, in Almaty. Venues are generally no more than about 30 minutes away from the Olympic Village. Uh, in Beijing, they're a little bit more circumspect, but uh, Beijing has the big issue, supposedly, of not having very much snow to offer for the ski events and a really 100% reliance on artificially made snow. IOC members said they were satisfied with the uh, explanations from Beijing about how the use of artificial snow will be sustainable, how they will have enough water to, to do this in a, in a sustainable way. Um, IOC members we talked to said they were satisfied Nobody really raised any doubts about it, it seems. So uh, both cities, at for, for the moment, at least in the public pronouncements of the IOC, seem to have um, escaped any serious criticism during their appearances this morning. So you mentioned Almaty has a compact bid. Weaknesses include accommodation and, and finance. Did the team address any of these points? During the press conference, they had each each of these cities had a about a 20-minute press conference in the afternoon. In the case of Almaty, um, which probably needs a good 15, 20,000 hotel rooms still to be built to adequately meet IOC requirements, um, they, they raised this idea that there is a $75 billion sovereign wealth fund, a rainy day fund, if you will, in Kazakhstan that's just been gathering size. It's uh, funded by the oil petroleum revenues of, of Kazakhstan. The, the doubt about Kazakhstan finances revolves around the, the sinking price of oil in the past year and uh, what this has done to their, to their revenue stream. The, the leaders of the Almaty bid say this $75 billion sovereign wealth fund is a, is, a, is a cushion, is a way to make sure everything that's promised in the bid can get done, including building hotels, and other facilities needed for the games. And you touched on Beijing's weak point in, in terms of lack of snow. Um, another weak point is air pollution. Did they say anything about that during their press conference? Well, they, they said that there will be a concerted effort made to clean up the air in Beijing, which is notorious as among the most foul among world capitals. Um, $180 billion will be spent over the coming years, says Mayor Wang Anshun, about clearing the air in Beijing. Uh, a number of steps will be taken, reducing the use of coal, uh, controlling dust and construction debris floating in the air, uh, reducing automobile traffic. Uh, these are all important and necessary for fighting air pollution, but on the other hand, these are also some of the same things we heard when Beijing was bidding for the 2008 Summer Olympics and pollution was just as much a problem back then and it was a, a pledge that the Beijing Olympics would help clear the air in the, in, the, in the city and in fact that has not happened and once again the promise is being made that an Olympic Games, this time a Winter Olympic Games in a city not known for winter sports will, will do the same thing.
The race for the 2022 Winter Games is headed toward a climax in less than two months when the IOC chooses a host city for the Olympics. Xu Jichang, Beijing 2022 Director of Communications, tells Around the Rings that bid leaders have a compact plan in mind for Beijing's mountain venues. Jichang also says that a Beijing Winter Olympics would help expose southern parts of the world to winter sports. Almaty 2022 and Beijing 2022 set up exhibitions in Lausanne for members of the IOC and media on Wednesday, June 10th. IOC members toured two rooms at the Lausanne Palace Hotel, the bids showcasing their merits with interactive demos, display videos, and models. Beijing 2022 offered IOC members a virtual ride on the proposed new high-speed railway, and detailed models depicted the bids' three venue clusters. As for Beijing, uh, actually, the three things that they impressed uh, the, the, the members. So the first Beijing will make the full use of the uh, Beijing Summer Olympic Games. That is the 2008, you see, uh, for for all the Lexis, for example, all the venues, this is all these uh, world-class venues. So all the members are very satisfied with that venue because that venue is making full full use and in good shape. For for example, for the curling, the figure skating, the men's and women's ice hockey, and uh, so uh, for the for the all the events on the ice, it's just uh, no problem. It should be the world world class and and top levels. So uh, and also this is the first time for most of the uh, the members just came personally see all the design and the layout with the models of the uh, mountain venues. So the Beijing's uh, mountain venues just very compact, you see. Uh, just all the Olympic Village and the, with the competing venues just within 10 kilometers. So that means in each clusters, it's very, very convenient for the, for the athletes to compete, to leave. They don't have to take the buses to go venues every day, you see. The third, I think, is the the high speed train. The train uh, goes with the with, with the speed of um, more than 300 kilometers per hour. With the power, with the Wi-Fi, the media is like that most because that means when they traveled and moved and transferred from clusters to the to the three competition zones, they won't waste their time. They can use every every minute on the on the high-speed trains to finish their stories and send their stories. Beijing can create some some new techniques and make the uh, make the, uh, the the games uh, is is the unique and make the games uh, is uh, suit the uh, agenda uh, Olympic agenda 2020. That means that after the game, all the facilities will be make full use by different by by different cities for different peoples. That that also can reduce the, the burden, the hosting burden and hosting budget, if we host all the big events in one city. That is uh, create the new way, and uh, for the game, and that is uh, maybe we try something new for the future of hosting the game. For the most of the uh, the, the members also realize if Beijing hosts the game, uh, that will make big contributions to the winter sports, because usually winter sports uh, were held in, in, in the northern, northern part of the world. If you want to put it, uh, put it to uh, the southern part, that means 
more people, and especially more case, will take the chance to experience and enjoy and benefited from the sports of the winter. So that is that is the the most attractive point for 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 all the members. Some of the members just ask a question: So why we should give the the winter game to Beijing? And uh, since you have just held the, the very successful and extraordinary summer game, uh, I said, why not? Because you should give the winter game and to a city which want hosted the game most. You should give a city which can return, can, can pay it back, can contribute the most to the Olympic movement. So you've mentioned strengths, the compactness of your bid, the high-speed train, the convenience of the mountain clusters, the legacy, the experience you have in hosting the 2008 Olympics. What are some of the weak points that you think Beijing still needs to address? When it came to uh, to our exhibition room and when they, uh, when they watched all the videos we just take the last summer in the mountain venues, you see, well, they know uh, we have enough snows. We have uh, enough waters to make the snow and for the competition. Because all the members, they are experts. They, they know each of the winter games, you say, yes, you need nature snow, but you, but you also need, you, you need man-made snow, the artificial snows to, on the surface for different kind of events because a different kind of events need a different quality and different kind of the snow surface. So uh, yes, comparatively speaking, uh, uh, Beijing and Zhangjiakou uh, has snow, but uh, for winter game, you, that doesn't mean you need very, very heavy snow. Too much snow also on the other side is that means uh, it's inconvenient for the city operations enough snow and the guarantee of the water and the guarantee of this uh, of the scale of the technique to make the uh, man-made snow uh, that is the uh, most important is the elements to for a successful game uh, snow won't remain a big problem for beijing's uh, beijing's winter game be sure to tune in to an upcoming edition of ATR Radio this week featuring an interview with a delegate from Almaty 2022. And as always, be sure to check into Around the Rings online on Facebook and Twitter. This is Nicole Bennett. Thanks for listening. <laughs>